AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. It's Wednesday, September 30th. I'm Oscar Ramirez from the Daily Dive podcast in Los Angeles, and this is Reopening America. A look into how YouTube is fighting misinformation and conspiracy theories. Crucial to its success and also a major source of misinformation spread was its recommendation system. Early on, if you watched a video about the Earth being flat, you would then be recommended tons of similar videos. To stop these sort of videos from getting more exposure, they began to tweak algorithms and teach AI how to identify and downrank these videos. Still, as we saw with conspiracy videos about the coronavirus pandemic, there is much work to be done. Clive Thompson, contributor to Wired, joins us for more. Thanks for joining us, Clive. It's good to be here. I wanted to talk about misinformation right now. You know, it's everywhere, and depending on the platform that you might be using, the social media platform or whatnot you might be using, it's all different. It's handled differently from Facebook to Twitter to YouTube. Clive, you wrote an article about how YouTube is trying to calm down conspiracy theories, misinformation, even things that are borderline content, something that's not so obvious. And it really is a huge undertaking that's been years in the making. YouTube has claimed some successes with this already, but there's a lot of work to do. So, Clive, tell us a little bit about kind of the evolution of how YouTube has been combating this. One of the big problems that they had was their recommendation system. So when you watch a YouTube video, it recommends other videos. It kind of became this monster of misinformation spreading when they were really trying to get a lot of clicks, trying to keep people on the platform. So basically, the problem seems to have emerged kind of in the years running up to the 2016 election. YouTube had decided in 2012 that it was going to push for growth so that they would get to the point where people were watching 1 billion hours of YouTube a day, right? And at that point in time in 2012, people were only watching about 100 million hours a day. In comparison, TV, 
that's like 5 billion. That's a lot more. Even Facebook was like 500 million. So they wanted to have an aggressive growth strategy. And one of the things they did was they worked hard with their recommendation system to try and get it to constantly try and find things that people would want to be absorbed in and to click on, right? And they did a good job. You know, some outside critics say they did too good a job, that one of the problems that happened was that if you demonstrated that you were interested in like something that was kind of slightly marginal, like the moon landing was faked or something, then it would go, okay, you like conspiracy theories and it would just keep on sending you even crazier and crazier and maybe even dangerous stuff, right? Like, you know, vaccines are a mind control system that you should get away from or ideas eventually became things like QAnon, like, right? right? Like the Pizzagate thing was real, that <laughs> Democrats were child abusers. They made it things. really easy to go down the rabbit hole of, of yeah, any yeah. topic, really. Yeah, exactly. So essentially, the critique that emerged was that you could get in a rabbit hole and the recommendation system would keep on sending you more and more stuff and keeping you glued there. And some evidence suggests that's true. There's been some academic studies. Now, YouTube disputes the quality of those studies, but what those studies found was that at peak points leading up to like 2018, as many in, as one in 10 recommendations were to something that was basically sort of a conspiracy theory, right? And so YouTube internally was becoming aware of external concerns about their recommendation system. And they, and they were sort of thinking about what the responsibility was to deal with it. At one of its peaks, it was kind of interesting. These recommendations really were that engine that was driving more watches. And it became 70% of all of its watch time, just things that were coming yeah. up in these recommendations. So that, I mean, that's amazing. And as you mentioned, Maybe they did a too good a job. Yeah, of yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand recommendations are completely central, and they have been for quite some time to YouTube's overall revenues, right? Because that stat you said, that's exactly right. Seventy percent of everything being watched on YouTube came from someone following a recommendation, right? And so, yeah, they did this job. They got people really hooked, and there started to be some serious concerns. And again, and coming out of the election, 2016 election. There's even more concerns because there's some great research done by some journalists that would talk to these really crazy conspiracy theorists who were like, you know, Hillary Clinton is mentally ill and she's about to die and whatnot. And they were sort of putting this stuff out there and they were just discovering all this incoming traffic coming in. Where's it coming from? And it was all coming from recommendations. So clearly recommendations had a catalytic effect amongst certain fringe populations. To get over this, they had to tweak the algorithms, teach the artificial intelligence how to single out some of these videos. We'll get into that into just a moment, but give us a practical example. You profiled a guy named mm -hmm. Mark Sargent who was doing a lot of flat earth videos. I think he had at one point more than 1,600 videos. He was getting millions of views. Tell us how it worked out for him because he went through this, was getting a lot of success with his videos, and then when they tweaked those algorithms, really his views kind of turned to a trickle only. You know, he started a couple of years ago and YouTube's recommendation system was key to his success. He has become a globally recognized figure in the flat earth world. And he and everyone in the flat earth world will tell you that recommendations were critical to people finding their stuff. But he was also one of the first people to notice when YouTube rolled out its new system to try and suppress, I guess is a word for it, the frequency with which the recommendation system would recommend conspiratorial content because in January of 2019, that's when YouTube rolls out this new system. They've been working on it for at that point in time for about a year and a half. And he immediately saw the inbound clicks from recommendations just fall off a cliff. One day they're there and one day they're gone and they never came back basically. 
And he checked with his other other sort of fellow travelers in the world of flat earth conspiracy theories. And they were the same way. They're like, yeah, we're not getting any any stuff coming in from recommendations. So it was it was a significant issue for them because that's where a lot of their new eyeballs were coming from. So tell us how YouTube adjusted to all of this. You know, mm-hmm, some of yeah. the more fringe stuff, the things that promote violence, all that, you know, a little easier to identify and have those videos yeah. removed, all that. But a lot of this stuff, some of this flatter stuff, you know, other conspiracy theories kind of fall into this borderline yeah. uh, segment and this gray area. Well, it's not really promoting bad stuff. It's just kind of misinformation. Yeah. Yeah. And they went through really a lot of pains, tons of people training AI systems to identify this stuff, questionnaires, people had to view an entire video, then spend minutes kind of dissecting what they saw. Yeah, yeah, There yeah, was a yeah. lot that went into how they trained their AI systems to figure this stuff out. So what YouTube wanted to do is they wanted to have an automated system that would look at a video and try and predict or figure out or categorize, really classify is what they call it, classify whether or not it was quote unquote borderline, right? So now the way that you train an AI is that you show it a lot of examples of something that humans have pointed to and said, hey, here's an example of it, right? So if you and I wanted to train a classifier to look for videos where people are super angry, you know, we we, we could ask, we'd, we'd get, you know, a thousand people and have them look through like thousands of videos. And whenever they found someone really angry, they would say, hey, here's a really angry video. And then we'd have this big bucket of thousands of videos that we know have angry people in them because humans looked at them and said, yes, people are angry in those videos. And then we would get the AI to essentially on its own, try and recognize what are the telltale signals of a video that has angry people in it. And it would look at everything from the transcript of what's inside being said inside the video, or maybe the titles of the video or the comments or the other videos that are watched, what type of videos are kind of watched frequently alongside this one. And they would eventually figure out, okay, now I've got a classifier, and if you show me a new video, by looking at all those things, you know, the headlines and whatnot, I can tell you, you know, with some confidence, this is 30% likely to be an angry video. This is 100% likely to be an angry video. So that's how you make a classifier. The question is, they wanted to make a classifier that would recognize borderline content. And so the first problem they had was they had to define what is borderline content. Because if it's hate speech, they have a good list of different types of things they regard as hate speech, and they just delete that stuff, right? If it's pornography, they just delete that stuff. But what they were trying to get at were things that were like, you know, someone sort of rambling on about have vaccines. They don't really know if they fully trust them and stuff like that. They're not outright saying something that is flat out medical misinformation, but they're just kind of rambling about it. And they're kind of like, well, we don't really want to promote that stuff. That's kind of borderline. Or the moon landing was fake. It's not really going to harm anyone to believe the moon landing is fake, but they don't want to promote that either. So they essentially sat down with their policy people and said, we need to think of 30 or 40 questions that we could ask people that would guide them to sort of look for signals of dodginess, of borderlineness, of gray area-ness. So they went through their buckets of things that they're concerned about, ranging from things that are close to hate speech, but not things that are close to medical misinformation, but not quite. And they worked at this questionnaire. And then they basically went to a company that has, that employs thousands of humans who rate and classify videos all day long. It's their job. And they said, okay, using this questionnaire, YouTube's going to have you look through videos and look, for example, and you know, we're going to take a video and you're going to rate it based on all these different questions. And they did that with thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of videos and tons of people. So that by the end of it, they just had this mountain of videos that had all been sort of rated by people based on these questions intended to guide human judgment to figure out 
is this gray area? And that became their training corpus that they used to train their AI. It's so crazy, just data upon data upon data. Just to, it was a ma to, massive to, to project, all this. massive project. Um, yeah. You yeah. did go to YouTube HQ to talk to some of the people there, and they kind of showed you how some of this worked. They've claimed success in this a little bit already since the beginning of last year when they rolled this out. They reduced the number of borderline content that was being pushed out by recommendations. But we're going through the pandemic right now. As soon as the pandemic hit, there was already a bunch of stuff going down. We have the famous pandemic video. There was other mm -hmm. stuff about yep. vaccines and uh, hydroxychloroquine. Mm -hmm. So what's their kind of response to all this? They've been doing a good job yeah. already, but this stuff still gets through. So the way things worked is when they released this system in 2019, and they sort of refined it. They released it in January 2019. And over the year, they refined it. And then by kind of the summer, on the, by really the fall, they're basically saying, okay, we have to the best of our ability to figure this out, reduced watch time. If you were to think about all the videos that come from recommendations, the stuff that is like dodgy, that's borderline, we've reduced watch time of that by 70%. So that was our success ratio. And that appears to be borne out roughly by some outside studies. Some academics looked at it. They said, yeah, it might be more like 40, 50%, probably not 70%, but yes, it went down. So that's their success, right? The problem, as you pointed out, is that what started to happen is that there's this new explosion of COVID-related stuff. And they've been working to try and identify the most egregious stuff that they want to just frankly take down. And they've been trying to feed those examples and more borderline examples into their AI. Like they didn't just make that AI once, the borderline AI. They actually retrained that. Like they wouldn't tell me the exact amount, but like at least a week, every week or more often, right? So they're constantly feeding it new examples. The problem they're running into, in the opinion of people I spoke to, who are looking at YouTube and misinformation in the last few months, they've said, here's the thing. Some people think that recommendations may be less significant now overall for the life and death and virality of kind of BS on YouTube. Because what they're saying is people who look at it, they say, well, you know what's happening now? It's less that people are just following the rabbit hole and finding the radicalizing stuff. What's happening is that they're finding about it from a link on Instagram or a link on a hot Reddit post or a link on Facebook or frankly, even you will find like, you know, in pandemic, a lot of people who are kind of in the outskirts or the peripheries, thousands and thousands of people on the peripheries of these communities would like do a video saying, you got to go watch pandemic. Here's the link. So it's almost more like more like organic and grassroots forces that are now are propelling some of these really problematic videos to massive virality in like 24 or 48 hours, right? It's not necessarily the recommendation system doing it at this point in time. So what you've really got is really just a, it, certainly under COVID has been a really a classic game of social media, you know, whack-a-mole where stuff is just popping up and becoming unbelievably viral in like 24 hours because all these people are pointing <laughs> at it. And right. there's a lot of stuff that might even be also astroturf, right? You might actually have, for all we know, in some cases, some of these are foreign actors on Twitter, Twitter bots trying to promote dissent within the U.S. by actively promoting nonsense videos. There's just a lot of things happening. So yes, they sort of did this work on the rec recommendation system. And I think that work is still very significant, but there's always kind of a new game in town yeah. when it comes to disinformation online. And it appears as though the game now has become a highly networked, sudden barnstorming, trying to push a video to tens of millions of views in 24 hours. It really is a never-ending job to fight the misinformation out there. There's a lot of great stuff in the article that we couldn't get through and uh, just kind of a deeper look into this. You can read Clive's story, Nothing to See Here, in Wired's October issue. It's out now or on Wired.com. Clive Thompson, contributor to Wired, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Good to be here. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this has been Reopening America. 
Don't forget that for today's big news stories, you can check me out on the Daily Dive podcast every Monday through Friday. So follow us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Because there's nothing like a weekend pause with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.